Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. Today, Kevin is speaking with Will Geositz. Will is a longtime strength and conditioning coach certified through the NSCA. He also has an undergraduate degree in kinesiology from Penn State and a master's in exercise science from East Strasburg University. Will currently works at Springford High School as their head strength and conditioning coach. In this episode, they discuss how Will builds trust and buy-in with his athletes, his thoughts on in-season training, some of his favorite go-to exercises, how he programs core work, and taking a look at his testing protocols. Will, I appreciate you coming on the Training Ground Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, So you work at the high school level. Um, Can you tell me exactly what your current role is? Do you work with just athletes? And then how many teams and sports do you work with? Right. So um, with my current role, I am the full-time strength conditioning coach at Springford High School. Um, So I'm predominantly responsible for overseeing um, the, the phys ed center. So to give you a little background on that, they um, were looking to renovate their weight room. They think they've done it a couple of times over the last couple of years and moved different spaces. And they finally got, you know, a nice, I would, what I would say state-of-the-art weight room. It's nicer than some division one schools that I've seen. So I'm primarily responsible for scheduling um, what goes on throughout the day there. Um, I do work with the phys ed department um, and the health department just um, from terms of, you know, what type of things the classes should be doing when they're coming in here. And, you know, from a, um, operation standpoint, like, Hey, this is the, you know, um, the way we squat this is where we bench the way we deadlift. Like these are the exercises you should be doing technique wise, stuff like that. So I consult with them often. Um, and then a lot of my day, a lot of it just deals with scheduling like teams that are in and out. So right now I'm working with four teams. It's football, girls, soccer, boys, soccer, and field hockey because of the, you know, pandemic going on that really cut into um, the amount of teams that I would have been able to work with, Um, you know, going into when I was back in March, I was already starting to schedule um, for the summer and starting to talk to teams about, Hey, you know, are you interested in summer training? Are you not? Um, and honestly, I think out of the, I think there's like 20 teams, 21 teams. And I think I would normally work with 18, um, out of those 18, I would honestly say probably 14 or 15 would have been training this summer. Um, so it would have been a lot, a large amount of kids at one time. Now, the good thing about that is during the summer, you know, I could devote you know, a singular block to a team. Whereas during the school year, you know, being that everyone wants that prime slot of 230, um, it's not always feasible to get, you know, four teams in at one time. Now, if I take, you know, three or four small volume teams and can combine them, um, I try to keep, you know, similar sports with similar sports in that regard. But, you know, during the school year, you know, you come in here, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock and you might see, you know, hundred kids in here training. Mm-hmm. And I have 16 racks and, you know, it's all hands on deck. You know, I have some, you know, um, supervisors, some phys ed, you know, supervisors that come in and, you know, they have, inter- they're basically intramural contracts. Um, so 
you know, the school district pays them to stay after school for about an hour and they kind of, you know, in a sense, they help me out. So, you know, it's nice to have, you know, two or three extra sets of hands here and just eyes, eyes on everything going on. But um, I think for this summer, I think in a day between all four sports, um, probably anywhere from 150 to 250 athletes. So it was good. It was really good. Um, the volume that turned out was really well. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we were stuck with what we were, what we had and, you know, we had to split teams up um, into groups just because of the, the group size and stuff like that. But, you know, just talking to a lot of the athletes, they all, they all feel really good and they're all ready to get going for their season. Excellent. That's good. Good timing with season coming up as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For girls soccer, how many athletes is there on the roster? Obviously that, it's not up to you. That's up to the head coach. But between the varsity and JV, how many kids are you looking at? So I believe from ta- – so they have a new girls soccer coach. Um, he's been around for a while um, in the area, tra- like coaching – I think he was at Phoenixville, and he does a lot of stuff with um, a club team in the area. Um, from talking to him, it sounds like they're looking at keeping anywhere from 40 to 50. And I want to cons- I want to say it's more on the lower end of um, I could tell you from the summer, um, you know, girls soccer was one of those groups where, you know, I would have loved to split them in half and get half in the weight room and, you know, in an hour time slot, bring half in the weight room and keep half outside working on like bios, med ball work and, you know, some mobility stuff. But, you know, unfortunately it was just me doing it. So I couldn't be running back and forth between both places. I had to focus solely on what was going on in the weight room. But um, when girls soccer would come in, I would pretty much have around 40 girls and I probably average about 40 girls a a training session. And, you know, what we would do is we would, you know, I would, we would come up, I would bring them up in groups to get, you know, some free weights. Uh, Basically it was a lot of plate bands and mini band work. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would just basically go outside underneath our weight room and just do basically go through um, any type of circuit, you know, uh, did a lot of single leg work, stuff like that, just to try to keep them, you know, moving. Um, and it was really, I said, I told this to them too. And even the coach said it was extremely unfortunate because um, they, I didn't have any issues with them in any type of movement pattern. They all squatted. I mean, out of the 40, they all squatted fairly well. Um, they hinged very well. And those are the two movements that, you know, I, you know, really stress with a lot of these athletes in high school. Um, and even when we did get in the weight room, like we were able, I think we were able to get in the weight room twice this week and one other time during the summer because of group numbers. Um, but their coach was able to show up both time, both nights this week so we could split them in half. And we went through front squats. We went through inverted rows. We did some push-ups. We did some hinging. And, you know, they did very well. And I, you know, I commend them for that. But I also felt really bad because they would have been a team that, had we would have had you know a normal summer where we can get in the weight room for eight nine weeks the strides they would have made i i would i mean i'm confident in where they're going to be this season but it's very unfortunate that we weren't able to get in the weight room with them full time yeah in my experience working with soccer at a couple of different universities i found that generally speaking uh, female athletes and soccer players don't have much experience in the weight room that, you know, they might not feel very confident or they simply just don't want to be there. Um, what have you done to kind of build buy-in or trust? 
Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things is um, to put them to always put them in positions to be successful, right? So one of the biggest things I stress with a lot of these teams is, uh, you know, I don't want failure necessarily in the weight room. Um, so doing things till failure, I'm not necessarily a big fan of, um, but especially with female teams, I want to put them in positions to be successful. I want to empower them in the weight room. You know, one of the biggest things that I stress to them all the time is, you know, you guys are a lot stronger than you might give yourselves credit. Um, don't be afraid to put some weight on the bar. If you're, if you're nervous or a little hesitant, let me know. Like if we're front squatting or anything, back squatting, let me know. I'll come around and I'll spot you just to give you that sense of, you know, confidence in yourself. But we do, I mean, we do a lot of things where, you know, I brought the jump mat out, um, you know, from testing a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I received a lot of positive reviews from that. Um, going through our testing protocol with them was I think a lot of fun and being able to see them, you know, I, I administered the 40 yard dash test with them and, you know, as they're finishing up the 40, I'm kind of, you know, you go with, we, we use team builder for all our programming. So one of the cool features of that is I could put in the testing protocol in there. So as they're going from station to station, they can enter their numbers. So, you know, it was cool to see as they're finishing their forties and I'm yelling down, Hey, you know, uh, 5.37, you know, I can hear girls on the other side, like being like, oh my gosh, you're in a five point, like, oh, okay, I can't wait to see what I get. So, you know, just being around them for the last eight weeks, they, they all want to compete and they all want to, they all want to get better. And, you know, I can see that because, um, you know, going back to stuff in the weight room when, you know, it gets very monotonous when we're outside underneath because we're limited with what we can do. But then, and sometimes the focus they were always there, but sometimes, you know, different, you, you get exposed to a different environment. So you go from being outside to being in the weight room and it's like, oh man, like we're in a weight, like we're actually like lifting now. So, you know, when we wouldn't be able to get inside, like you could tell like the focus and the intensity was like just cranked up. And, you know, it's almost to the point where like, they're like, oh man, like, are we done? Like we're back, we're done now. Like we were just getting, like, we just felt like we were getting going. So um, you know, being able to swap environments, especially given the summer and the, cir the circumstance, being able to swap environments like that, all, that always boosted morale. Um, but yeah, I think number one for me, it just comes down to putting them in positions to be successful and, you know, trying to challenge them a little bit with the weights that they're doing. Like if I'm walking around, I'm seeing a girl, you know, squatting with a 10 pound plate. I'm like, why don't we bump that up to 25? Um, we actually, I actually had a conversation with all of them last week, um, a couple of weeks ago about, you know, we were doing some tempoed work and, you know, I got into explaining to them about, you know, when you are sprinting, you're not, most injuries aren't really happening, take off in mid sprint, they're happening towards the end. So when we're doing, you know, eccentrics really focus on lowering that weight slowly and, you know, hitting, hitting the bottom, you know, because that is going to help prepare you for the demands of your sport. Um, so, you know, and I think a lot of it is just educating them too. So putting them in positions to be successful, giving them the confidence that, that, they're, that they want, that they need, and then just keeping them educated in terms of this is why we're doing the things we're doing. Yeah, that sounds good. You mentioned a 40-yard test and then vertical jump as well. Can you talk a little bit about some standards or expectations or even just goals you're trying to build? within the team yeah so that, so with the testing process we did um we did a 40 we did a vert 
we did a broad jump and we did a pro agility. Um, this was the first time I think now, unless any team here went, you know, outsourced um, their training, like if they went to a different facility or they had a trainer come in, I think this might have been the first time any any athlete here or any team out of Springboard like actually was exposed to any sort of testing. So, you know, I didn't necessarily have norms offhand. Um, but what I wanted to do is I just wanted to establish baseline numbers with a lot of them. Um, you know, and I explained to them that like had we would have had a normal summer, we would have tested in the beginning of the summer. We would have tested at the end of the summer. Um, you know, I want to make this a year long thing with all of them. And, you know, I have a turf strip in the weight room. So if I wanted to do it, it wouldn't be very difficult for me to replicate. Like if I put, okay, instead of doing forties, we're going to do tens or we're going to do twenties. It wouldn't be out of the question for me to be like, Hey, we can test, you know, it's, again, it's middle of January and there's snow on the turf, but you know, we ran twenties before we can run twenties in here. We can do all of that in here. So a lot of it is just trying to gauge where they're at. Um, and then, um, given their coach, cause their coach is very interested in the numbers. And, um, you know, I like, especially when I'm at, a, when you're at a bigger school, one that, you know, unfortunately might have to make cuts. Um, I think the weight room is kind of like a wild card component to that, because if you have athlete A and athlete B that, you know, similar, similar on paper in terms of like, like evaluation, vertical jump, broad jump, 40 pro. Um, and then, you know, athlete A comes to the weight room for every session. Athlete B shows up sporadically. Um, you know, I tell coaches, I'm like, you know, unfortunately, you might have to cut. And when you're looking at similar skill um, in terms of like ball skills and being an athlete, you know, and you don't have a, something that really sets them apart. Well, now you have this testing component. Like mm -hmm. You can use the testing component. You can use the weight room as like, okay, well, hey you showed up all the time, you got better, you didn't show up, you didn't get better, that's my determining factor. Um, but going forward, um, I am planning on keeping, you know, all the numbers that I, that I get on these athletes and trying to build norms um, for our school. Um, I don't necessarily always like to compare kids to other kids across broad spectrum. Um, I think you can obviously do that, but I would much rather compare them against each other because they're the kids that they're going to be competing with all the time. Right. Having it from that standpoint. Looking at the 2020 season, I think a lot is to be determined with girls soccer, but taking a look back to 2019 schedule, it looked like uh, spring four girls had games every two to four days. Um, if that is the case this year, how do you plan to address training? Right. So I've already talked to a bunch of the coaches about, um, about training in that regard, um, you know, I always use football as the example. Football is easy because they play once a week. So for them to put, for them to be in the weight room, you know, three times a week, it's not out of the question. I would opt for two for that though, just because of group size. Um, but in terms of like your field sports, like your field hockey, your lacrosse, your soccer, you know, I do look at game schedule and I'm very, we, me and the coaches communicate, we will communicate daily on it. Um, and I've told them, you know, given, given the circumstance that we're in, you know, I, we don't know if they're planning on playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So they're, because of how few teams are going to be participating, 
um, and the need to get a season in. My biggest concern is they're going to be playing three times a week. And I'm not necessarily – and I've been very transparent and vocal with field sport coaches about it, that I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of, all right, you're playing three times a week. Now let's get you in the weight room um, just because of the volume of volume that you're getting and then on top of practice and everything along those lines. So I've been very vocal with the coaches and saying, listen, if you're playing twice a week, let's try to get in here once. Uh, if you're playing three times – Let's try to get in here once at this point. Um, now, how that might shake out is if you know you're playing a tough game on Monday, you're playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you got a tough game Monday, and you got a really easy game on Wednesday that, like, your starters might play. Like, they might get up two goals really quick, and then you're pulling them, or they might only play 15, 20 minutes. Then I say, hey, why don't we just utilize Tuesday as a training day, um, you know, shorten practice a little bit we'll get a lift in on Tuesday a little bit Wednesday and then we can actually get probably back in the weight room on Thursday So when you were talking about how it can be really difficult for, you know, girls playing four to six games a weekend, can you talk about how, you know, consistency is important versus a girl coming in on a Monday or Tuesday and ready to crush the week, whereas you're trying to look at a bigger picture of where you want them to be in a year or two years, for example? Yeah, I mean, so listen, I completely understand where kids are coming from. Um, when it comes to like playing multiple sports at one time um, on top of what they're doing in the weight room. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in like whatever we're going to do in here. Um, I don't want that to impact what they're going to do out of practice. Uh, and at the same token, you know, I, I also talk to these coaches too about like, listen, whatever you do out there, I don't necessarily want that to impact what we're doing in here because we're both trying to accomplish the same thing. And it's, I guess it's, it's, it's very similar to like, you know, cooking or chemistry or whatever, you have to have that right mix, right? Too much of one thing and it just don't taste good. Not enough of something and it just don't taste good. You have to have that right mix um, between the two. And, you know, I know from a, from a coaching standpoint, like I think younger coaches kind of get it. I think some older coaches sometimes get it, sometimes they don't, and they're the more challenging ones to work with. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it just – it comes with educating the parents more than anything. You know, you know, we're trying to, what we're trying to do in here is we're trying to accomplish something. And if you're going to put, if you're going to compromise that by, you know, playing four or five games over the weekend, I mean, are you really going to get anything out of your training session, you know, on Monday? So I try to be as, vocal with these athletes as I possibly can. I want them to be as open and honest with me about what they're doing on the side. That way I know I can go and, you know, modify their training. The good thing about Team Builder is I can modify their training on the fly. So some of, one of the things that I started implementing a while ago was um, like a daily assessment, you know, just to kind of gauge where they're at. You know, did you eat breakfast? How many hours of sleep did you get? Um, how do you feel today? Like, and you know, a lot of it, I got rid of the scale of one to 10 for how do you feel? Cause I think it's just, 
think that gets played out. So I give them basically a, hey, uh, one to three, how do you feel? You know, and I want them to really think about like, okay, one, I feel like crap. Three, I feel really good. So I want them to actually think about how they feel. Um, if I get, and then you know, I have team builder set up so that if I do get, you know, a one response, then I get notified so that I can go and, you know, pull them aside and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, why, why don't we feel good? And normally, if they don't feel good, they didn't get a lot of sleep. So, you know, I will go then and modify their workout. So if you were supposed to do back squat and we we're doing, you know, sets of five, you know, maybe like 78, 82%, something somewhere in there, you just might not be feeling it for the day. So I'll just pull you back. Um, one of the things that I've been pull, playing around in my head with doing is um, bringing the jump mat out to every session and having that as a gauge. Um, okay, this is where your vertical jump was when we tested you. I'm not saying that's your average, but let's try to get some numbers on you and see where things go. See, are you physically ready to go? If you're physically, and I think a lot of the kids, you know, will appreciate that and they'll like that because if you know, you're jumping through the roof. Okay, we can we can get after a little bit today. And if your jumps a little lower on like on the on the lower end, okay, let's pull back. Let's pull back on the weights. Maybe if we're supposed to do three sets, let's do two. Um, and you know that that's one of the things that I've been preaching to these kids for the last couple of weeks is um, hey, let's just get some work in. Like, I, you know, you don't have to hit a PR every time you're in here to get a good workout in like we can scale it back a little bit if you're feeling good we can ramp it up so that's just some of the ways that I'm thinking about trying to manage you know all this the stress from the outside you know because obviously I see what they're doing in here I talk to the coaches I know what they're doing at practice but you know, I don't know what they're doing um, when they're on their own and you know one of the things that I talked to because you know this was the last week for voluntary summer lifts so you know I want to get them in the mindset for for next week um, when they start their preseason or when they start like their tryout week, basically, um, was that, that, you know, my plan for them for the summer, you know, was it was to keep them healthy, right? That was first and foremost, like, you know, with everything that's going on, um, you know, there are, uh, <laughs> could have gotten sick. Um, so, you know, my first plan was, and that was from the school, that was from, you know, the administration too. And like all the help I've had with the athletic department was well, what can, what are we going to do to keep them healthy? That should be the number one priority. Um, and I explained to them, I was like, you know, you were all healthy. And because you were all healthy, you were all able to come train. And because you were able to come train, you got stronger. And because you got stronger, you set yourself up for a position to be successful this year. So, you know, number one, and I stressed that to the coaches was, let's just try and keep them healthy. You know, everything else that's going to come is going to be a byproduct of keeping them healthy. So, and I think they were all extremely appreciative of that. Yeah. So you're looking at the subjective data and objective as well with the vertical jump. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I'm, 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 I'm very interested in that. And I think a lot, you know, after, you know, talking to some of the coaches, I think they're very interested in that too, being able to let guys kind of ramp things up a little bit in the weight room, you know, um, that was one of the big things where it was like, you know, big questions throughout the summer is like, hey, when are we going to max? When are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? And I'm like, you really think, given the time frame, that's a smart option? And they're like, eh, probably not. And, you know, going back, you know, love Twitter. I'll get me wrong, I love Twitter, but I also love going around and seeing, like, you know, teams doing a max out week, like, in the second week of August. And I'm like, great. 
Cool. I'm glad to see your progress, but where are you going from there? Uh, like, if you can't answer that, then we got, you should probably reevaluate your program. And, you know, we held off on all of that until this, basically this week. So where, you know, some teams might've lost two or three weeks of good training because they opted for numbers. They valued numbers over, you know, Zach, the guy from TCU, Zach Chant, movement over maxes, right? So they valued maxes over the movement where I was, I'm like, no, nope, we're going to keep pressing forward because I'm not willing to give up two or three weeks of training just for someone to maybe increase their, like do a one rep max or something and see like a 10 pound jump. I'm like, yeah, mm, I'd rather just keep the training going. Yeah, I think the reality, and we'll link this in the show notes as well, is that uh, high-intensity exercise can be an immune suppressant, so it can actually put you at more risk for injury, illness, or infection, especially at this time. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of things that go overlooked, and that is why it's extremely important that high schools have certified strength and conditioning coaches running their weight rooms. 100% absolutely agree with you there. Well, you've mentioned a lot of different exercises in the past 20 minutes or so um, for girls soccer and what you do. Um, can you give me some of your go-tos depending on age, first of all, whether it's uh, JV or varsity? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the first things that I want them to, I want to expose them to is squatting when they're in here. Um, you know, we normally start out with front squat just to kind of, you know, teach them to engage their core and keep that vertical base. Um, I, I'd like to get them off of that as quickly as possible. Um, just from, you know, most of my, all the female athletes that I've seen tend to be more quad dominant anyway. And that's not even just females, but that's just with athletes in general, I see. So if I could get them, you know, moving, moving, being able to handle weight on a front squat and then transition them right away to a back squat, just to get more posterior work in, um, I'm, you know, a huge fan of that single leg movements. You know, I, I tend to agree with Mike Boyle on a lot of those topics where, you know, you just have to slow to, slow down the video and watch the way athletes move on the field. Very rarely are they actually moving off two feet. So um, I place a big emphasis on single leg strength, whether it is, you know, I, and I tend to defer right to like a rear foot elevated split squat. I think that's probably one of my more go-to exercises, but, you know, I also can't ignore like single leg RDLs or um, like single leg bridges. I'm a big fan of single leg work just, you know, from, I think, from a, uh, like a recruitment standpoint and, you know, being able to be strong on one leg is going to help you out in the long term. Um, you know, I try to do everything I can to sneak, you know, Olympic lift variations in there. Um, I also understand it's very, it's very difficult to teach a large setting of individuals how to Olympic lift at the college level. Now, turn, turn that up to 10 at the high school level where you have kids from all different backgrounds and experiences where they're not all there for the same reason. Um, so, you know, out of a team of, you know, 30 or 40 girls, I might have, you know, 10 or 12 of them that may have been exposed to some sort of Olympic lift variation. So I try to make it as easy as possible for them. You know, we do a lot of med ball work. We do a lot of med ball throws um do a lot of sprinting um and i try to slowly progress you know barbell work in whether it is you know clean pulls um i think for me what i've found over the last couple of years is the easiest one to teach has been the snatch so i tend to go you know that is usually like a day I, you know i'll work that in try to day one and you know you either hit that or you don't and it's very 
it's a very telling exercise. Um, it's very, I think for me, it's a very easy one to correct. Like, you know, the most common error I might see in that is when they get the barbell overhead, they end up having to lock it out anyway. So they'll end up pressing overhead. And it's a very simple cue is like, let's try to just get the barbell overhead with elbows extended in one motion. And that tends to fix itself very quickly. Whereas with the hang clean, you know, you have a lot of moving parts. And if you, and that is the reason why I teach front squat early and often is if you, I like to teach the clean from the top down. So if you're not comfortable in the front rack position, or if you're, if you're front squatting with, you know, crossed arms, which, you know, a lot of my football guys are at, you know, and then they'll go try to clean. And I'm like, whoa, hang tight here. You're front squatting with arms crossed and you're going to try and hang clean. You can't even front rack it and you're going to try and catch it. So I'm like, until you get comfortable in that front rack, like we're just going to do, uh, we're going to do pulls and, you know, sorry, let's just get, let's try to work better at, you know, working in Olympic lift variations, any possible way. And, you know, I, you know, I follow a lot of people and they give me a lot of really good ideas. You know, strength and conditioning is one of those is like fields where it's like, you just take from everybody and you know, nothing's ever been, you're not, you're not reinventing the wheel. So, you know, if you, if you're like, oh, I'm out on the turf doing like trying something out, it's like, yeah, I'm probably not the first one to think of this. <laughs> so just trying to get as creative as possible in that, in that sense. Yeah. Um, and then obviously with female athletes, just a lot of upper body work. And, you know, I preach a lot of back work more than anything. I'm going to try to get away from pushing as much as possible, but uh, that is part of the process and that is something that will never go away. Yeah. Can you speak for, I've seen firsthand some of your progressions for core work. Can you, kind of give a overview of your philosophy and then progressions that you would use for core work. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I look at core, um, and I preach to the athletes as, you know, I'm looking at this from shoulders to knees and 360 degrees. So, um, some of the staples that we will do in here are, you know, dead bugs, dead bug variations. Um, I'm a big, I started to get, become a big fan of like bird dog poses and, you know, getting them moving in that regards. Um, Paloff press variations, I'll try to get as creative as I possibly can with those just from an anti-rotational standpoint, uh, front plank, side plank. Um, you know, I like to progress a lot of them. Um, I think the easiest one to progress on is the dead bug. Um, you know, you can start by just moving legs because, you know, it's very it's a very, um, it's, it's kind of comedic every once in a while when I bring a group of athletes in, whether they are male or female, I say, okay, you're going to lay on the ground, arms up, legs bent, and we're going to move left arm and right leg. Or even if you say opposite and you just watch a lot of them, like their, like their motor, like their coordination is just like, oh, you're a great athlete on the field, but you can't figure out how to like yeah. move your left arm and right leg. But so I like to progress those, um, whether we just start with moving legs, um, then we start to implement moving arms and legs. Um, then we'll go, you know, let's just hold this pose, you know, for 10 seconds and switch. Then I start to implement, okay, let's hold a weight above our head, like above our chest and move legs. Um, then I start to introduce bands and then the bands are, bands tend to be the more fun because then I can start to get partners involved. And then, you know, looking at it from, okay, I'm going to, you're going to lay, I'm going to pull the band behind you, resist, pull forward. Now let's kind of put some perturbations in there and try to make you really stabilize. 
Um, and then, hey, let's do it from the side. So now I'm, it turned, it almost turns into like a pedal off press variation. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm almost combining, you know, two exercises into one. Um, from a pedal off press standpoint, I love using those. We start tall kneeling, then we go to half kneeling, um, then we go to split stance and standing. And whether we do it for time or whether we do it for reps or whether we partner in, add, you know, let's, let's have the partner stay on one side, you know, move side to side and create perturbation in the band um, just from a core stability standpoint. So, you know, a lot of it is I want to keep it fresh. You know, I, I, I want them, I don't want them coming in here and being like, oh, we're going to do 150 crunches today. Like, no, let's actually do some things that might cross over in your sport. Mm, that add more value. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Um, Will, I appreciate you coming on the show today. You got to recognize your time as you're coming into season now as well with football. Uh, girls soccer and a couple other sports thank you yeah man absolutely happy to be on